Welcome to Native Exiles, Alderwood Community Church's podcast, where we talk about following Jesus in the tension of being in the world, but not of it. And Steve, this is a really unique episode for us, different than anything we've done before. This is amazing. We have a live episode and we have a guest, two firsts for us. Yes, yeah, so I'm really excited for you to hear it. Uh, this came from a weekend where uh, we're in our series on sexuality and we had Preston Sprinkle out to our church. He spoke in the morning. Uh, he did a seminar with us in the evening talking about sexuality, talking about uh, the LGBTQ conversation. In particular, in the evening, we, we really dove deep on the issue of gender and uh, transgender topics. And so uh, what you're going to hear today on the episode is the Q&A at the end of that. So this was questions that were submitted by everybody in the audience. We didn't pre-select them uh, at all. They were written by people, voted on by the crowd of what questions they wanted to be answered. And uh, I, for me, it was a really beneficial time to get to hear like some of the things that are really on people's hearts and be able to give hopefully uh, an encouraging answer and something that's going to help people think. Uh, give me your perspective, Steve. I mean, all the questions were great, but I think the thing that really hit home for me is some of the questions are just so personal. Like you said, really coming from people's very painful circumstances, things that are happening all around us, but we don't necessarily think about a 13 year old kid or whatever, asking mom and dad or coming out to mom and dad and saying, I don't identify as a boy any longer, or I think I'm gay. I mean, that's what people are living through. Tough stuff. Yeah. Well, so I'm ready for you to hear this. Uh, Just... Remember, as you listen to this, this is a different kind of episode. This was all done live, nothing scripted. Nobody was prepared to answer these questions. So it's not quite produced the same way that some of our other episodes are, but I think it's a really, really great conversation and you're gonna enjoy it. So let's go. I'm really excited for the Q&A. You guys have asked some great questions, some tough ones. Uh, We're gonna do the best we can with them. Uh, I just wanna highlight two more of the books. The the book table will be open after the last session as well. Uh, Some people have been like, you guys know that Preston Sprinkle is not the only person to have ever written on this topic before, right? Like we have a lot of Preston Sprinkle resources out there, which is great. Uh, But we have two other ones. Uh, One is called Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry. Great book. Yep. Some of you guys know her. An amazing woman, an amazing story. Uh, you know, you've heard from a lot of male voices uh, tonight, and it, you know, maybe you want to hear from a woman who ha- has her own perspective and has gone through, uh, you know, her own story. That would be a great book to pick up. The other one uh, is the Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Alberry. And if you're single, uh, this would be a great resource for you. I also invite you to come back to Alderwood next weekend on Sunday. Uh, our message is on marriage and singleness. I think most of you are either married or single. Is that is that true? Uh, so the next week's message is for you. Um, and yeah, but check these out. And again, like they're at a great price back in uh, the bookstore. Um, hey, I, you may notice the, the logo has changed up here. I didn't tell you this earlier, but the Q&A tonight is being recorded as the first ever live Native Exiles episode, which we're very excited about. Yeah, some of you have listened to Native Exiles, which is awesome. Uh, that's our, our church's new podcast that we started in September. Steve and I have been having conversations about uh, following Jesus in the tension of being in the world, but not of it. And so we're going to record this conversation and then release it this week as an episode. And so it's a, it's a big first for Native Exiles because it's our first live episode. It's our first guest ever with Preston Sprinkle, which is awesome. Uh, so we're excited about that. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's why the logos have changed and, and we're ready to go. So are you ready for the Q&A? Yeah. All right, here we go. So glad to be able to do this with you guys. No mic. No mic. Is your, uh, check, check. I never get to steal the mic from Wyatt. It's usually the other way around. So this felt really good. 
Really excited about tonight. Really excited to have Preston here. I do have to give a quick shout out about another podcast, slightly less well known, called Theology in the Raw, that Preston hosts. Check out Preston's uh, podcast, but we're really excited to have him here on Native Exiles. We have a ton of questions, guys. So let's go ahead and get started. No technical difficulties here. We're really nailing this. Here we go. <laughs> nope, wrong screenshot. <laughs> this is just like we rehearsed it, Wyatt. Okay, while I pull up the right screen, this is the one that just happened to come up with four votes. So we're not starting at the right end, but this is a good question. How do you start the conversation about the LGBTQ community with younger kids, and what's a good age for that, Preston? All right, uh, good question. Um, I, let me just preface up front that probably a lot of these questions are gonna be super complex where there is no like black and white right answer. And I will um, respond to, I'm gonna try to respond to every question. Will I answer it? Maybe, maybe not, okay? So I, I just wanna like, I can give you some thoughts about this, but I mean, this really depends on the person, the kid, the situation, and, and, and a lot of things that I just don't have access to. But in general, I would say, you know, what age do you, should you start? I would say pick, pick an age in your mind and then subtract it by about five. <laughs> um, we, if, if, if your home has an internet connection and your kids have other humans that they're involved with in life, um, they're going to hear about not just LGBT stuff, but marriage and porn and masturbation and singleness and all, all that. They probably won't hear about singleness, but they'll hear about all these topics that they're going to be exposed to stuff at a much, much earlier age. And uh, I have found, I think, I think the data does support this. I can't cite a specific study, but I've come across stuff that has shown that kids tend to view as authoritative the, the person they hear about things from first. So if they're learning about stuff in kindergarten, first grade that you haven't even talked about, and then you wait until they're 12, they might say, in their mind, they might think, yeah, but like you kind of don't know what you're talking about. I already, already heard about this somewhere else. So age appropriate, obviously, with any kind of sex conversation, um, but I would, be, would begin very, very early talking to your kids, begin with helping them view their bodies positively. Name body parts. You know why we have so much shame over our bodies? It's because we're, we were told, not, we were not explicitly, but it was just assumed that you don't talk about body parts. And if you don't talk about it, it must be really shameful. And so you have so many kids that grow up and, and sometimes it carries into adulthood where we have so much shame around our bodies. So I think at an early age, um, naming body parts, making it normal and okay to talk about our bodies is a good place to start. And then, yeah, in an age-appropriate way, introducing them to a, a healthy, Christ-centered vision of what it means to be a, a sexual, you know, human, human being, beginning with big categories like what is marriage even for, what is sex even for, again, age-appropriate. Um, you know, the, the porn industry targets, you know what their target age group is? Is nine years old. They're, they're marketing billions of dollars to reach nine-year-olds. They want to get people hooked 
so that they're all, you know, then when they go through puberty, then they know where to come back to. So you, we have to start earlier than nine then because they're going to be exposed to stuff at a, at a much earlier age. So do you, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I can pass the mic if you need. I got this might be working now. Look at that. Uh, yeah, well, I just appreciate you saying that because, you know, I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old. And we haven't yet started talking about LGBT topics. Uh, we're on just pronouncing English words still. Uh, but, um, I mean, one of the things that we've started on early in our home is just naming body parts and not having nicknames for them and not making it a taboo topic. And, um, and that's, I, I got to give all the credit to my wife, Kate, on that because I was clueless. But I think there's just something really healthy about this is how God made us. This is our bodies. This is, you know, uh, your brother's body is different than yours. And, you know, some of those kind of things have been hopefully a good starting uh, place so that three, four, five years from now when we start talking about, you know, more topics, it's not going to be weird. So. I am now on the right end of the list. We're at the top end. And, but I'm actually going to skip one because why I'm on a roll. And this one probably is best at least started by you in an answer. If a married same-sex couple, both believers, wanted to attend our church, would we counsel divorce or honor the existing relationship? Okay, I want to make sure that I understand the question. Married couple, same-sex, both believers, professing believers, show up at Alderwood, do we counsel them to get divorced? Um, well, the, the first thing I would say is I might ask them their names first. <laughs> and, <laughs> tell them we're so glad they're here, um, and maybe take them out to coffee, um, ask to hear their story, uh, you know, we, we're not going to be counseling divorce uh, in the first conversation that we have with somebody, no matter who they are. Uh, I also want to say, I think there's a difference between somebody who attends our church and somebody who is a member of our church, uh, and, and every church's polity is a little bit different, but like, we're happy if anybody wants to attend our church, whether they believe in God, whether they don't, whether they're, you know, professing Christian, whether they belong to some other religion, like, come. We're so glad you're here. We want you to hear the gospel. We want to encounter Jesus. Um, so somebody could attend our church for a really long time and completely disagree with everything we teach and believe, and we're just, we're glad they're here. Um, if somebody wanted to become a member of our church, that's a little bit different. That's somebody saying, I want to become a part of this family and for us, what membership means is uh, I'm committing to this church, and this church is committing to me to hold me accountable, which means I, part of our membership is saying, I, will, uh, I believe and I will represent the church's teaching. And so for us, part of that teaching is how God designed marriage, and we believe that's between a man and a woman. And so to become a member at our church, uh, for me, I would say... Uh, I think to honor Jesus with your sexuality does mean recognizing that a marriage that the state is saying you belong to between two people of the same sex is not what God says marriage is. And so I think faithfulness would require separating from that marriage. And I, that's brutal. That, I mean, it's so hard. I, that, that would be said with humility and uh, mourning and all of that. But that, that would be a conversation that would happen at some point, I think. So... Let me throw a wrinkle in it, and Preston, maybe you'd weigh in on this, too. What if there were kids involved? I'll let Preston take that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to, wow, I just really want to affirm just how you led into that question by even what are their names? Like, I know you're kind of, kind of joking around, but kind of not. Like, 
these questions, you know, they can feel abstract, but it's like, man, everybody's been on a different journey, a different story, you know, we really do have to honor the individuality of people's uh, different, different journeys. So that, um, I just so resonate with everything you said. And, um, you know, there's been, kind of, I would say, kind of two general ap- approaches that churches that hold to a traditional sexual ethic might take. Well, one would be, you know, um, well, Wyatt said that, you know, um, it's not a divorce if it's not a marriage in God's eyes, okay? So those, ca- the, those categories, yeah, the legality, there's, there's things you have to work through, but if we frame it in th- a theological question, it's like, you know, do we, are they in a sexual relationship that God does not desire for his followers to in- engage in, and, you know, um, how, how can we move forward where, where we are aligning our lives with, with God's design? So if... if that, that would be one approach. Another approach I've seen people take would be more of an accommodation, saying this goes against our teaching as a church, but they came in already married by the state. So what's done is done. We're, we would allow membership as sort of an, an exception to the rule. I've seen people do that, you know. Um, and they might say, well, they couldn't serve like in leadership, you know, that still is maybe a higher standard, but we would let them belong to the church. And, and I honestly don't, I don't, I'd probably line more where you're at on that, but I can, I can respect a more accommodation approach. I think we do it with divorce. If two people got divorced a few years ago, they come, then one comes to the church and they're both still single, would we require them to get back together, you know, in order to be a member? Most churches I know would say, well, no, we're against divorce, but no, we wouldn't do that, you know, so... Um, whatever we do, we have to be consistent with where we're accommodating and where we're kind of holding, holding the line with kids involved. And I've seen situations like this where I have seen a couple where they came to faith in Jesus and said, this, we're submitting everything to Jesus, including our sexual relationship. We'll continue to raise this kid, but we're just not going to engage in a sexual relationship that God calls us not to engage in. So, you know, there, there is no... There's a messiness there, so they're still going by mom, mom, or dad, dad, you know. Um, and the kid might be confused when they get older, and there might be some ongoing conversations. But, you know, God does, he gives us grace for those kind of messy situations. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I do. I, think, I think there's some gray here in how we respond. But, again, let's really get to know each individual story and, and, and go from there. That's probably the question I get asked the most, that one, as a pastor. Uh, There's a lot of folks I know here who may have asked this one. We have a lot of school administrators, a lot of school teachers. Maybe they were the ones who asked this. How do we handle working within the schools where gender identity is being pushed on young children? That's a real, oh, man, I, I, my heart goes out to you and, and, those of you in public education in 2022, this is not for the faint-hearted. Um, you know, you're you're in a secular environment where, right? I mean, I don't need to tell you. You're constantly having to make decisions of where do I draw the line, where do I give in, what what is a gray area? You know, using someone's pronouns or doing this or teaching this curriculum or whatever, and we're some. What are, the, what are the line where you're willing to maybe lose your job? Where, like, I cannot cross this line. And I, I can't tell you where, where that line's going to be. Um, th- there's some things, you know, when I, and I do, as part of my job, I try to look at some curriculum and just kind of see what's going on out there. 
And um, I never expect a secular school to like teach Christian values, right? I, I don't, it's a secular school. I wouldn't expect that. What makes me really nervous though is it's not just that some of the stuff with the gender conversation is, it's not just that it doesn't resonate with a Christian worldview. A lot of it doesn't resonate with basic science, you know, and it's like, well, that, and some of it feels like ideological indoctrination rather than, hey, here's, you know, a scientific proof for evolution or something. And, you know, our kids have to kind of work through that. But here there, there's some stuff. I mean, I'll read some statements. It's just like that no medical doctor, if he's honest, is going to agree with that. No medical doctor you would want operating on you in the ER. Do you want to say sex isn't binary and they're all the same? Or like, you know, that's, you can choose things that, you know, with that, choose, well, you can't choose your gender identity if gender identity is your internal sense of self. But when you start collapsing that into kind of biology and when it starts to lead down a path of, of like surgery or, or medical intervention, that's, that's where it makes me really nervous. And it, it is my, my strong heart for justice that I feel like, I just feel like there's some injustice going on when, when an ideology is leading some young or teenagers, young people into like an irreversible path of medical intervention. I mean, you heard Helena's story and, 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 um, and uh, Heather, and I've got loads of friends who some transitioned and, and when they're in their early 20s then, they're like, they kind of say, where were my caretakers? Like I was a teenager that was confused and I was like encouraged on this path and, and others that didn't and end up saying, I'm glad I, I didn't. And um, so that, that's, that's where it makes me nervous. So all that to say, if, if, if you... If you have an ear, well, knowing the kinds of people that are promoting some ideologies, they're so, like, adamant about it that it's really hard to even have a conversation. That's what makes it really difficult. But if you did have space to say, hey, um, this teaching, that, you know, like this, and you could say, like, this has nothing to do with my Christian worldview. I'm just, there's some things being taught here that's just, it's not, it, it's fringe debunked science it's not even real science and it's actually shown to be really hurting people what's interesting is some scandinavian countries that are way more progressive than america and then the uk you know they they've already gone down this route and they're rethinking everything now hmm. like they're showing they're, they're the uk had a huge lawsuit where uh carabelle sued the high courts and won and now they raise the age of puberty blockers to the consent to 18 because they're like, oh, we, we need to rethink this paradigm. Finland, Sweden, hyper-progressive countries are saying, we're not serving kids well by like, being driven more by ideology. It's sad that like, Canada and the U.S. are still kind of behind the times a little bit in their, in their progressive kind of, kind of leaning. So I'm hoping that time will, time and probably not a few lawsuits will, will lead to people rethinking again not we need to like think like christians but like we need to actually treat like educate our kids a lot better with with sound education and not adopting an, an ideology so i don't even know if i so in short i'll i'll try to be quicker um if you have space to maybe get the ear of somebody of influence then yeah take that opportunity and, and you would have to do probably a lot of research and, and go. There's lots of like very liberal scientists that would be are blowing the whistle on some of this stuff. Don't go to the Bible. Don't cite stuff that there's no common agreement. But if there's lots of stuff out there you can go to that um, 
that you can use to say, hey, I don't know if this, this viewpoint we're teaching is, and maybe even be, you know, if this isn't really the only viewpoint. Maybe we can give a couple different sides to this issue rather than saying this is what we all must believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, we're, I mean, we have a ton of parents who have kids in the schools right now, and I'm actually hoping that you can solve kind of a, a family issue for me. Uh, I, um, so like, you know, I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old, so we're thinking about what school is going to be like, and, you know, everybody who knows us is giving us their opinion on whether our kids should be in the public schools or the private Christian schools or homeschool or any of that, and, you know, I mean, how, how would you help somebody think through that? Is it, you know, I, there's this part of me where it's like, it's my job to protect my kids from some sort of harmful message like that. So maybe I do need to put them somewhere they're not going to hear that. Then I have this other part of me that's saying, okay, but yeah, like our job is to be salt and light. If we just take all our Christian kids out of schools, then are we losing our ability to be influencers? And I, but then it's like, am I willing to sacrifice my kids' well-being to influence uh, people? You know, so help me out. <laughs> Softball question. Um. As parents, we, we have the primary job to disciple our kids. That's not negotiable. Parents have the primary job to disciple our kids. Whatever your educational path is, and I am not, I, we've, we've tried everything. Except, I think the only, we've, none of our kids have actually been to a Christian school, partly because of just funny money, but um, uh, we've uh, homeschooled. They charge for that? Is that? What's that? They charge yeah, for that? A lot. Yeah, that it's crazy. Decision. Yeah. Um, but we've tried everything. A lot of my, our kids primarily have been homeschooled, or, or and then they did like an all their high school years kind of an online school, and, and so but they've been in public school too. So I, I don't. I'm not a. We do homeschool. We have home. We're not like homeschool Nazis. Like this is the only way. Um, but I. So I. I would think it can be really good and healthy to to for your kids to be in a public school, not just as a witness, but to be educated, to be presented with different views where they're being taught to kind of be challenged and everything. But what, here's what, what makes me nervous is it's one thing to be in public school education. It's another thing to be in an environment where you're going through indoctrination, where you're not being challenged to like, hey, here's a viewpoint, agree to disagree, let's talk this out. But when there's an ideology saying you're, an, you're a bad person if you don't believe this kind of, kind of unscientific view of human nature, that, that's a, that's. I would be nervous about having my kid in that environment. Um, I remember a, fr a friend of mine, you, you might know the name, John Mark Comer, who's huge into like public school, public school, public school, very almost, an not anti-homeschool, but kind of. <laughs> he ended up pulling his kids out. He's in downtown Portland, and he said, it's, they're, they're quoting like, I mean, it's all Karl Marx and Michel Foucault quotes on the wall, and it's like all this like radical, radical stuff, and it's like, this is just indoctrination. If my kids get exposed to, like, the theory of evolution, that's fine. Like, I want them to think through that. But to be, like, just pounded with stuff, that's... And so he ended up pulling his kids out, yeah. so... And, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's, it's super hard. hard. Um, and maybe, I mean, just for a second, like, to the parents who... I mean, in, in all reality, public school is the only option. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, single mom, uh, you know not enough money to send right. their, her kids to Christian private school. What advice might you give a parent yeah. in that situation? I was raised by a single mom who worked 70 hours a week to put food on the table, and homeschool wasn't an option. I, was, I, didn't, hurt, I didn't know what that was until like 10 years ago. So, um, yeah, so, um, 
Yeah, that's a great, great point. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, you still, if your kid's in public school and maybe it's a really toxic environment, you can, we can still disciple our kids through that too. Silence isn't an option. That's, that's where we're going to fail our kids is if they're getting fed all kinds of ideas that, and, and we're not helping them walk through that. So being, you know, extra involved in helping them think through, you know, different things from an early age so they learn to trust your voice in their journey. Yeah, and I might just add one thing real quick. Like, what you said in the beginning is so important. As parents, it is our job to be the primary disciples of our kids. That is true even if your kids are in Christian private school. <laughs> like, sometimes it's like, man, my kids are in public school. I really got to teach them how to follow Jesus. Like, no, like, if your kids are anywhere, you really got to teach them how to follow Jesus. I'm a private Christian school kid. Um, turns out that didn't fix everybody's kids' problems. Like, I, you know, a lot of my friends grew up to do all kinds of crazy things, and so... Or, or homeschool, you know what we wrestle with? I can say this, because I'm a homeschool dad, or, you know, I married a homeschool woman. <laughs> she, she's doing the work. You know what our danger is? Creating, spitting out Pharisees who are so turned off, those bad people out there, and they get kind of judgmental, and that is more damnable in the Gospels, you read the Gospels, and Jesus comes down harder on that. So I'm actually, homeschooling is really dangerous. It really is. Like, you have to work hard to help your kids to not judge other people and think they're better and be self-righteous because they're super moral or whatever. Like, that's a dangerous place for a Christian to be. So, yeah, there, there is no, like, oh, if you just do this, then everything will come, come easy. I'm going to break my rule, too, because I'm, like, safely ensconced here behind the questions. I, I don't have to put myself out, but I want to weigh in on that one just quick. We spent a long time on this question. It's an important one, but Holly and I have kept our kids in the public schools. That was just a conviction we prayed through. Like you said, Preston, very important for us to talk with our kids. But one thing we discovered was that talking to an individual teacher garnered us a very different response than going before the school board, and we did both. So just a private, personal, kind-hearted conversation with a teacher can go a long way uh, and should be something you keep in mind. Moving on to the next question, guys. The company I work for celebrates pride, in quotes. Even though there's no mandate to participate, there's increasing peer pressure. Why did that question just disappear? I'm not even lying. Uh, how, how do we handle that in the workplace, guys? <laughs> and I'll, I'll try to be quicker with the next set of questions for, for me. Um, I, you know, this goes back to where are you going to draw the line? Um, what's the hill you're going to die on? Um, you know, somebody wants you to put a rainbow flag on your, on your door or pronouns on, you know, the back of your shirt or something. Like, you know, is that, is that a line for you where it's like, no, I will not give in. Um, that, that's a conscience issue. I, I can't tell you where, where to draw that line. Um, I would say there are things that pride, pride month, celebration, the flag represents that I fundamentally disagree with. Um, but there are some things that I'd resonate with. You know, one of the, the things in the pride agenda is re reducing the homeless rate among gay teens. I, I, that's, I can get on board with that. How about reducing suicidality among LGBTQ people, which is much higher than non-LGBT people? I, I, I resonate with that. Um, have, having teens be in safe environments where they can think through questions of sexuality and, and not be bullied. Um, I, I'm, I'm for that. So, so there, are some cons there are some things that pride stands for that I can 
resonate with. And, and I'm sure if you're a Christian, you probably can find something too. Um, so, so if you're like, man, I, I don't know if I want to draw the line there, but I, you know, am I doing something evil by um, somehow participating in this public celebration? I think there could, there could be. I'm not saying there is. I'm saying there could be room where it's like, in my heart, there's certain things here that I, you know what, I, I can um, resonate with, even though I'm not going to sign off on, on the whole thing. Um, or again, if you're like, you know what, this, I just, at the end of the day, this does represent a fundamentally different worldview and I can't celebrate it. I, can, I mean, I could respect that decision too. So There's a lot so of wisdom it's a, it's a decisions in that. And I think one of the things that I love that you're saying is uh, this requires some thoughtfulness to think through, okay, what is my line going to be? What is the die for thing here that I'm not going to move on? Because uh, I don't think you want just your in-the-moment thought that pops up to be the thing that drives you in this, in this topic. Like, I think you want to think through, okay, June's coming up, uh, LGBTQ Pride Month. Like, I know what my company's going to do. How am I going to engage with this, to be praying about that, to be talking with your Christian community about that? Um, and, you know, we were just in the book of Daniel. Uh, I think there's, there's two ways to go wrong on that. Like, Daniel and his friends were completely willing to be persecuted, thrown into the fire to not compromise their faith. They also didn't make every issue a die-for issue. Like, they got given pagan names, and they said, okay, call me whatever you want. Like, that, we're not going to die for that. Uh, but when it came down to, this is compromising my faith, this is asking me to do something that I cannot do to honor God, yeah, throw me in the furnace if you want to. I'm not going to do that. So I think all of us have to think through those issues in that lens in some ways. Here's a question that, I think a lot of us will resonate with one of the conversations we've had a lot recently on staff is just how many people we know in the church who've been touched by this. Hardly any of us have not been touched by the issues we've been talking about personally, friends, neighbors, etc. Here's a very personal one from somebody we know. My brother is planning to get married to his boyfriend. I'm planning to go to the wedding, but now he's asking me to be in the wedding party. Should I decline? Oh, man. That's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, I will tell you where I'm at. And again, say it one more time. This is not a black and white, top down. This is the right answer and everything else is wrong. Um, the wedding question is really tricky, especially with loved ones or family members. My, where I draw my line is I, uh, I cannot officiate a same-sex wedding ceremony. Um, like I can't, because you know, when you're officiating, you're basically... St- standing between God and the couple and, and you know, like, like mediating God's blessing on this couple. Like it's a serious theological thing happening there. And, and I can't be the one saying, yes, God blesses this. Um, and by the way, I wouldn't do that with any marriage that I don't agree with. Divorce, remarriage, uh, people living together. Whatever. Like I, I can only officiate a wedding that, I'm, that I think, yes, I do think God's blessing this, this union. Um, that's where I draw the line. To me, Everything else is more of a gray area. I think attending a wedding is, is a gray area. Um, being in the wedding party is a little more difficult. I, I could really respect somebody if they're like, you know what, I, I just, my conscience would be seared. I feel like I'm subtly or not so subtly endorsing something that I can't. If that's the, what's stirring in your heart, I can respect that. Or if you're on the other side saying, you know what, I, my my brother knows what I believe. I'm not being unclear to him. My presence will signify 
a strong desire to want to be in relationship, even though I don't agree. And so for the sake of the relationship, I'm going to do this. I can respect that too. So I really don't think, I think it's something you would have to work through with you. If, you know, if you're married, your spouse, maybe even your pastor, pastor, what would you counsel? <laughs> I've, uh, <clears throat> I've been putting people on the spot with this question for years. I, uh, just doing training with our youth leaders, with our staff, uh, we put together just a questionnaire asking all kinds of questions around this topic, really designed just to help people understand how complicated this conversation is. People who think like, you know, gay marriage, like easy, like done, nothing to think about. Just a questionnaire to say like, there's so many facets of this, there's so many different things. And one of them is, would you officiate? Would you be in the wedding party? Would you attend? Uh, and then another set for non-believers. What about for believers? Um, and uh, we'll have, I'll have Toby put the questionnaire in the show, show notes if anybody wants to go look at the podcast and, and take it yourself. Um, but uh, for me, one of the driving questions is I think through that, and I would affirm, I, I think this is wisdom, there's, there's room to disagree on some of these things. Um, can my participation be reasonably viewed as loving this person, not supporting this decision necessar necessarily? And so for me, like, I am willing to attend, probably. I haven't been invited yet. If you're here, invite me. Um, I, uh, um, I think it can be reasonably viewed as I'm here to support this person who I love. Uh, I'm sitting here. I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people who attend weddings who think it's a bad decision. Uh, you've probably been at a few weddings yourself, right? Where you're like, eh, I don't know. Uh, but I love these people, and we hope it works out. Uh, For me, I obviously can't officiate for similar reasons. Like, to officiate is to endorse. There's just no way to get around that. The wedding party one for me, I personally don't think that I could be in the wedding party. I think it just would be viewed by everyone as I'm here to celebrate and support this, this union. And, um, and, and then, but yeah, I, I respect that people might disagree on that. Um, the other one for me is like, if, if you were to decide to be in the wedding party, as an act to love this person, even though you disagree theologically, I would ask you as we're having a conversation about that decision, do the people getting married know where you stand? If, if the answer is yes, and they know that you disagree, but you love them and they've invited you anyways, like, okay, I might not make that decision, but I get how you're making it. If the answer is no, I would say, this feels actually a little deceitful to me. Like you're going to stand up at their wedding. You're going to be in their wedding photos forever. And at some point in the future, they're going to find out that you were up there believing the whole time that this was morally wrong and an offense to God. And I just don't think that's going to help you in your relationship with them long-term. So I, yeah. That's good. Yeah. hundred percent. This is another one, guys. It's really close to home. Not theoretical, very personal. My 18 year old daughter told us in December she was non-binary. In April, she told us that she wanted to be a boy and wanted surgery to remove her breasts, and she wanted to begin testosterone therapy. How do I navigate this conversation? I don't want her to go through with either procedure. This one's so, so hard. Um, so whoever asked that, I want you to know that you're so not alone in this. I mean, I get this email every single day almost word for word. Um, and kind of like what I said before, I, I, can't, I can't give a one-size-fits-all response. You know, here's the magic answer to make everything work out right. Um, in my experience, when uh, 
younger trans people are desiring uh, transitioning, whether it's social, hormonal, or surgical, um, I think deep down there can be a decent amount of fear and uncertainty, but on the surface, it comes out in 100% certainty and Anybody who's getting in my way of this decision is kind of toxic and, and is, you know, is my enemy and needs to get out of the way. So sometimes there can be such a black, like the presentation can be such a, such a black and white you know, posture to where there, there's not a lot of room for a reasonable conversation. If that describes your situation, I mean, I, I would pray a lot. I know it's cliched, but I mean, that is your greatest weapon. Um, Pray that um, I, I would, and I would say this if I was a Bible-hating atheist, okay? I would say I would really want this person to get older, like not make it a, this kind of irreversible decision at that age. If they're 25 and their brain's fully developed and they still want to transition, if I was, you know, I, I was not a really religious person, I'd be like, you, you do you. I mean, you're an adult. You're going you're gonna to live the way you want. It's fine. Um, but I would still say, teenage, younger people, no, I don't, I, I would not support this. You know who agrees with me on that? <laughs> Every single older trans person I've ever talked to in my entire life. <laughs> that's not over, that's, that's old, the most outspoken people against teenagers transitioning are older trans people. That's something the media doesn't, won't really tell you about, but um, uh, because they've been through it. They, they know that this is not going to solve your problems. It's going to create more complications. There's all kinds of risks for all kinds of things. And if you have other mental health issues you're going through, this is not the magic bullet. And they might say in some cases, it's, it helped me, they might say, you know, but like they're looking at the widespread number of teenagers and, and they're, they're really, really outspoken and nervous. Um, so all that to say, if I would try to try to, Create some kind of space through love, through listening, through honoring your kid. Try to create some space where there can be a genuine dialogue where maybe you can offer very great, you have to be so gracious and humble about it, but offer maybe a more um, holistic perspective. Um, don't be quoting Bible verses. I, I, I doubt that'll work well, but I would want to know, have, has my kid considered um, all, all the, the risks that, that this will have, the lifelong, the life, lifelong effect. Uh, if a, you can ask any endocrinologist, say, what happens when a female mammal takes uh, male-level testosterone? What happens to that female mammal? And it's, it's just, there's just basic science here, high risk of blood clots, uh, brain issues, your uterus starts to atrophy after two to four years, you have to get that removed, um, you are high risk at cancer, um, there's a lot of anger issues and, and just emotional swings and everything, um, and you're likely, after two years of testosterone, you're most likely to be irreversibly infertile, which most 18-year-olds might be like, I don't want to have kids anyway. Well, they say that at 28, 32, I don't know. Um, but that decision will be taken from them. So, yeah, I, I, would, I would try, as a short-term goal, try to try, do something to try to delay that. But that, that is a really tough spot. I mean, um, maybe presenting, saying, here, can you at least consider all, all of what you're, you're, you're risking here? So that's actually a short answer. I mean, I, I, but Such yeah, a tough question. It's so hard. It's so hard. Your yeah. thoughts, Wyatt? 
Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple things. I, I always have thoughts, Steve, you know that. Uh, I, a couple things that you're saying that I think are really important. Um, one is listening to your kid, uh, loving your kid. I, I think one of the things for all of us that are followers of Jesus, we have to remember, uh, what we want more than anything is for our kids to know and love Jesus, not to be cisgendered straight people. Um, now, yeah, it doesn't mean we don't talk about that stuff, but like we have to keep the main thing, the main thing, love our kids, keep that relationship. Do not throw your relationship with your kids away over their sexuality or their gender identity or any of that kind of stuff. The other thing that you said that I think is so important and some of us haven't thought through is somebody says, my kid wants to transition, take hormones, what should I do? Um, there is a massive difference in how you respond to that. If their kid is 14, if their kid is 18, 25, totally different. If your kid is 25, they're an adult. Like, I mean, counsel them, love them, be honest with them, give them your advice, but you can't try to control them. They're 25. If your kid's 14, I mean, my answer is pretty simple. Nope. <laughs> You're 14. Uh, you live in my house. Like, you know, you can't feed yourself. Um, I, no, like you can't transition. Um, I love you. You know, I, I would be more kind than that, I think, uh, and understanding, I hope. Um, but I'm, it's not going to be on the table for a 14-year-old. And then I think, where, in my mind, where it's really tough is the middle ground of that. Like the 14-year-old's an easy answer. The 25-year-old's an easy answer. The 18-year-old, which is who we're talking about, I think is a harder answer. So Absolutely, yeah. You know, I was kind of hoping we'd get at least one question that would make Preston squirm. When we were at the Theology in the Raw conference, he was up on the stage with his wife, and somebody sent in the question to his wife, what's it like to be married to someone who's so devastatingly good-looking? <laughs> and Preston had to read the question. That was the best part. So, no, I don't know if we're going to make you squirm tonight, Preston. Here's a softball, though. Another. You know, you know, a, few a few questions down from that was the opposite. <laughs> Preston, how do you deal with your wife? <laughs> Never got to that one. Here's another just softball question. Easy. Preston, earlier you mentioned that there is an interpretation of the Greek that, you, that may give room for affirming homosexuality. This is the argument that after eight years of wrestling with this question got me to switch to the affirming camp. What is the counter argument? Why is this not compelling to you? Say the first part again. Uh, a Greek word that can be interpreted in the Bible to affirm homosexuality. I'm not sure which one they're referring to. That, um, the way it's worded might not be the best. Um, I think I know what they're trying to say. So there, there is no Greek word that affirms same-sex sexual relationships. I think they're referring to the Greek word arsenokwetes, which is translated many different ways in the English Bible in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9 and 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Um, it's sometimes trans... It used to be translated homosexuals. Um, uh, neither the idolatrous, the adulterer, the whatever, the this, that, and the homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Paul says, such were some of you. Um, it used to be translated by some translations, homosexuals. That's a terrible translation. Because homosexual, and, and most people don't even like that term homosexual. They would say gay or queer. Um, but the term homosexual refers to somebody who's attracted to the same sex. You're same sex oriented. Homosexual does not say you're, you're having same sex relationships. And if you don't believe me, just flip it around. Are you a heterosexual? 
Most of you might say yes. Well, does that, does that mean you're actively having sex, right? Like, right when you leave here or whatever. Like, <laughs> well, no, no, it's just, well, no, I'm heterosexual. I'm, I'm attracted to the opposite now sex. Now you're making me squirm up here. Come <laughs> on, man. <laughs> so, um, and, and this has been a big, this has been like a lot of articles and people exposing this, that we should never translate this word uh, homosexual. Arsenakwetes is a compound word of two Greek words, arson and koite. Arson means male, koite, where we get coitus from. It means bed, but it, the word kind of means like men who go to bed with other men is, is, is what it basically means. Now, um, arson and koite, or arsenakoite, this Greek word never occurs outside of, or never occurs anywhere in Greek literature until 1 Corinthians. But... The two Greek words, arson and koite, that make up this word, both occur side by side in Leviticus 20.13, which prohibits men from sleeping with other men. So it seems very likely that Paul looked back on this verse, took these two Greek words, smashed them together, formed a compound word to say men who are sleeping with other men, um, and that's what the word refers to. Read the question one more time, and I, I'm pretty sure that's... So my counter, my counter art, because some people say, well, this word shouldn't be translated homosexual, which I agree. Therefore, the Bible doesn't prohibit same-sex sexual relationships, and it's the therefore that I think is, 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 a, is a leap in logic that can't be biblically substantiated. Do you want me to read it again? I thought you answered yeah, it pretty you well. It. Yeah, oh, yeah. you got it. Yeah. yeah. Wyatt, how are we doing? I think we got to wrap it up. You got one more in there? I will give you one more. How can our young kids and teens lovingly express their own views about sexuality in the public schools? Little twist on the one we talked about earlier, not how we would engage it with our kids or with the schools. How can maybe we help our kids and teens lovingly express their biblical views about sexuality in the schools? Hmm. I would, um, man, yeah, that, um, again, it really depends on the kid, the situation, and all, all the context stuff that we keep kind of coming back to. But um, I, I, think for, I think for younger people, and I have four in my house, so this is very relevant for me, but I think, I think making, making sure we distinguish between, like, gay people and a Christian sexual ethic. Like, can you be gay and a Christian? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know tons of Christians who are gay. Gay, they're same-sex attracted. Their, their orientation is toward the same sex. Some are single. Some are married to the opposite sex. And I know some gay people married to the opposite sex that have the most beautiful, flourishing marriages I've ever seen, quite honestly. Uh, others, it didn't work out, whatever. But like, our sexual desires are, are, are complex and like you can, biblically speaking and practically, you can live a very flourishing life without being married to the person you desire and engaging in a sexual relationship. So I would really want to help. Okay, so that's actually a huge tangent, but um, I think our kids sometimes have this understanding that if you're, if you're gay, the only way you're going to be fulfilled in life is to uh, engage in a same-sex relationship, and uh, the Bible says that's, that's not okay, and so, therefore, you know, 
a traditional sexual ethic is kind of like demeaning towards gay people, but it's like, that's just, that's just not true. Um, you can endorse a traditional sexual ethic and still absolutely love and value and delight in and learn from gay and lesbian people because you can live a flourishing life if you have a same-sex orientation. The Bible doesn't say, like, don't be gay. It says don't engage in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. So I think giving our kids the freedom to... Um, Look, you can hold to a traditional sexual ethic and have loads of gay friends and not make a huge deal out of it. Now, if the conversation comes up about sexual ethics, help them navigate that, but encourage them to have relationships with their gay friends and not, not be weird about it, you know. Well, I'm sure you're going to close this out, so I'll, I'll squeeze a word in here, too. I, I want to actually quote something, Preston, you said in your book, People to be Loved. It just jumped off the page of me. Of course, there's that beautiful description in the Gospels that Jesus was a friend of sinners, tax collectors, and you said gay is the new tax collector. Trans is the new tax collector. And we want our kids, wow, I mean, what a novel idea, Wyatt, to know their names, to treat them like human beings, to treat them with the dignity that Jesus would treat them with if they were here. So I think that's a big part of it, just teaching our kids to love other people first. Yeah. It's our job to disciple them. They have Christian friends. That's hugely important, but we want them to treat them as people made in God's image. Yeah, I resonate with that a ton. I mean, I just say, don't teach your kids to like stand up and boo every time the teacher says something they disagree with. Um, you know, don't teach your kids to like insert themselves in every conversation to make sure that their Christian beliefs are heard by everyone. Like, we want to teach our kids what they believe, what they should believe, what the Bible teaches, to hold it firmly, to be willing to give an answer when asked, but... We want them to love people like Jesus, just like we talked about this morning. Like we want them to know that uh, it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Our job is to love the people that God's bringing into our life. And so, I, I mean, that's the conversation I would be having with my kids if they were in public school right now. So, hey, can you help me thank Preston for being here? time to send you out the doors. Uh, the amazing volunteers that have been with our kids all evening are ready for us to be done. Uh, and so thank them on your way out. Uh, real quick, um, we're all to a community church. If you haven't been here before, we're so glad you're with us. Uh, we're talking about sexuality the whole month of May. Hope you, hope you come back uh, the next couple of weeks as we continue in this series. Uh, book table is out there. They're still going to be uh, available after this. Uh, some of our leaders and elders are going to be up front. We'd love to hear your story and meet you and talk to you. Uh, and if you just, if you want to reach out to our church, if you want somebody to pray for you or to help you wrestle with anything going on, uh, you can get a hold of our elders anytime here at Alderwood, elders at amcc.org. We would love to hear from you, respond to every email, and would love to, to meet in person as well. Uh, you can pick up your kids, where you dropped them off. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Have a great night. Thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode of Native Exiles, where we had our first live episode, our first guest, and you were part of that. Thank you so much. We had some very meaningful questions, some very meaningful answers, and there's a lot of questions left. Why and I want to tackle those questions as well. That is our next episode, and we'll look forward to seeing you then on Native Exiles.